Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best SaaS and corporate leaders in the world to share their journeys from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Anne Kerkov, the group CEO at Frisbee. Anne has been in all sides of the table as MD, commercial director, COO, angel investor, board director, CEO uh, as well, and non-executive director. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So, uh, just giving a, a quick overview to the um, to the to the guests that join us regularly, and to the audience that our community that joins us regularly. I I start this podcast uh, saying uh, on purpose that we'll now be covering the the route from one million to. One tree. As you know, we started just interviewing SaaS leaders on their journeys from one, 1 million or 2 million to 100 million. We are now extended with uh, guests as Box and Qualtrics, the journey from one, 100 million to 1B, typically after IPO and acquisition. And we are also bringing corporate leaders to cover their journeys from 1B to 1 tree. So we are now uh, leaving with you uh, another lessons, another level of, of scale. Today's episode would be about a, a SaaS scale-up on their journey from 1 million to 100 million, but just to give you this uh, introduction. And now it's time to get to know more about yourself. And so let us know a little bit more about what you've been doing before joining Frisbee. So I think I'm what you call a startup and scale-up addict. Um, this <laughs> is probably my seventh. Um, I think it's my sixth or seventh. Um, and it's it's something I just come back to and love. I, I think I was never designed to work in a big corporation. I was always there to either help uh, founders or co-found or scale up companies. That's what I really enjoy. Always in technology. That's what I love. I love innovation in technology. And, and I really love that phase where you've got your market fit and you know you just need to make things explode, both on a global scale in terms of hyper growth, in terms of building amazing teams and making everybody in the world understand your message and what you're trying to achieve. And so that's me in a nutshell. I've, as you mentioned at your intro, I was really lucky to always be on both sides of the fence. I was lucky enough to IPO my second startup. And with that fund, I then became a business angel investor and a LP into a few funds. That naturally took me to join boards of scale-ups um, as well as FTSE 100 and 200 companies. And so I know what it feels like to be the investor. I know what it feels like to be the board member. I know what it feels like to try to push management to achieve targets whilst really creating a bond with them. Um, and that's helped me tremendously. And two years ago, I took over from uh, Carl, um, the founder of Freespie, as CEO of Freespie. And Freespie is a, a Swedish-based company with offices mm -hmm. in London and Paris um, in the CPAS space. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And um, let us know a little bit more about where you are in terms of growth. So ad count, funding rounds, um, uh, interval of revenues. So the audience can relate and uh, understand your, your journey. Absolutely. So Freespie is about 90 people across Europe. We have a big development and product and R&D team in Uppsala, Sweden, of about 45 people. Um, and then we've got kind mm -hmm. of a more commercial headquarters in London and then a, a customer success and sales team in France. We closed the year with about 11 million mm -hmm. in revenues. 
Um, and um, wow. we, uh, so yes, we've got that lovely um, momentum where we know our clients uh love the use of Frisbee. Um, some of our clients have been with us for over six years. Um, we have incredibly low churn. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of fundraise, we did a mix of primary and secondary um, throughout the years. And in total, we've raised over 20 million. Um, and that's both, as I said, uh, primary, but also secondary to make sure some of the early uh, angel investors and and also the founders um, got some money off the table and managed to kind of sustain themselves because it's really hard sometimes for founders to you know if <laughs> if you have a long journey to to um, sustain it and so it was important in my view as the professional CEO coming in to make sure that we did a mix of primary and secondary. Absolutely, sounds amazing. The, we we always cover on the show this rule of the triple two double three times uh, from a famous article of Niraj. Agrawal from Battery Ventures in, in Boston. So he saw that uh, world-class SaaS startups like Salesforce, ServiceNow, yeah. Zendesk, um, show a kind of a pattern that after product market fit and he defines their product market fit at 2 million ARR, uh, they are able to triple twice from two to six, six to 18, and then double three times from 16 to uh, 32, 32, or sorry, 18 to 36, 36 to 72 and 72 to 144. So tripling two times and doubling three times, which, which means uh, simplifying, doubling and tripling every single year after product market fit. What, what do you think about this kind of growth pace? Is it adequate or uh, as usual, it depends from company to company and from uh, each situation? I mean, rules and patterns help you understand the world. They give you guidance and they're super helpful and investors love them because it helps them simplify <laughs> what is a very complex world. But anybody who's been in business knows that rules are meant to be broken and in fact have to be broken to follow your unique path, right? So they're lovely guidance. It's good for you to know them. It's very good for you to share them with your investors and your team because and to understand what's behind the map and then, frankly, to put that map aside and focus on, on what you're truly building, what kind of capital intensive or not your business you're trying to build, what is the needs that you have to really create long-term value? Because at the end of the day, the times three, the times two won't matter if eventually you're not building a sustainable business that has long-term value for the clients, long-term value for your shareholders, long-term value for your employees. And so... I've had businesses that exploded at five times in a year because that was the right mm -hmm. moment, tipping point for them. I've had others that grew at a much lower rate and then developed much greater value. So like all things in life, don't ignore those lovely articles and the rules, but do <laughs> take everything a grain of salt and actually figure out what the hell is right for you as a business and own that journey. It's very easy to read articles like that and then they become like, uh, you know, the de facto reality, right? And then same thing right. with the rules of 40 and all of those. They're good guidance, but fundamentally, who knows your business better than yourself and your executive team, right? As a CEO, you're driving that business. You're not being driven. And you're certainly not going to be driven by an article that was published, as interesting as it is and as useful as it is, because somebody created a pattern, right? The pattern should make you think, and then decide what journey and what direction and what speed is right for your business. That's an awesome uh, point. Thank you so much and for your comments. And uh, 
we, we believe there are three critical ingredients to scale. We, and we always discuss those three components and try to learn from the lessons and stories of our guests. And number one is radical focus. Number two is world-class leadership. And number three is a contrarian culture of execution. Starting with number one, I had the opportunity to, to listen to you speaking on stage at B2B Tech in Paris. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if this is the name of the event. Uh, B2B Rocks, absolutely. B2B Rocks, F. correct. In now, so in, at Station F, and uh, there is something that I really enjoyed and it's related with this point. So there is always a temptation after raising a round at a certain stage of in order to scale, to try to go to too many verticals uh, too many GUs uh, to serve small business, mid-market and um, enterprise. And you were talking about the commitment to really go upstream to enterprise at that conference. So how, how do you drive the, the, um, the team to be really focused and not trying to do everything at the same time? Uh, and if you can also share a little bit your transition to enterprise, it would be also amazing. Totally. So focus is indeed critical to any business. And what the worst thing you can do to a team is change the messaging about who you're going after, what your USPs are, how you're going to market every few days. There's nothing more confusing. When you're working in a hyper growth environment in a fast growth company, there's already so many change. That's the only constant. So your job as a CEO is to constantly focus on that North Star and that focus and to hyper communicate it. Right. When you think about how quickly you grow in the hyper growth stage, I, I was with our sales team just a few days ago for the Q1 commercial kickoff. 90% of the people in the room hadn't been there a year ago at the previous kickoff. Right. So my job <laughs> is to constantly remind them of that message, constantly remind them of the success stories and constantly remind them of the steps we're making towards that goal. So it's expressing very clearly um, that North Star. It's showing people the proof points of the success stories and the journey, and it's constantly reminding them of the steps to get to that North Star. And so as a CEO, you're, you're communicating all the time. And you're also being very honest yeah. about stuff that doesn't work because hyper-focus on the wrong things <laughs> will lead to absolute disaster, right? <laughs> so it's not right. about listening to agility. It's not about losing the ability to trial and fail. On the contrary, the more you're focused, the more you're allowed to take risks, the more you're allowed to trial things because you're within the boundaries of where your North Star is. And then your job is to push that creativity of the team, push the risk-taking, push new methods, mm -hmm. and then super honesty, right? At every day um, with your exec team, um, every time you get together every week, you start by saying, what worked, what didn't this week, and having a good laugh about the stuff that you had really banked on and then turned out to be a disaster. Um, and I don't mean <laughs> not taking it seriously, but just giving that that reality check of, you know, wow, we really thought that would be great. And then this didn't work. Um, and if it's a vertical success, a vertical focus, then get to understand your entire ecosystem. Talk to thousands of people in that vertical. Get to push the boundaries with them. Um, we were leading a breakfast um, yesterday in London, for example, with the automotive industry. And our topic was quite controversial because <laughs> it was all about climate change and diversity and things that are really kind of quite punishing to the automotive industry right now. And what was amazing was... Right. 
these executives wanted to talk about this and they really want to embrace that. But for that to happen, in order for you to have super focus, you need super trust, super trust with your clients, super trust with your team and super trust with the ecosystem. And then you truly get into focus because you truly cut the bullshit. It's an, an amazing point. And you also highlight the importance of uh, hyper communicate and repeating, repeating, repeating. And sometimes saying the basic things that Simon Sinek would say, remembering the why, what is the North Star, where we are, what is missing to get there and what we need to do and inspiring people to move forward. And could you also comment a little bit more about this transition to enterprise and understanding mm -hmm. that serving mid-markets is so different than serving enterprise and the sales cycle are also different. The skills uh, the, the, of the team to serve both um, segments are also different. And usually this is very difficult to find out what is the right timing to move upstream uh, yeah. and how to do it uh, well. So first of all, I'll start by saying enterprise is hard. Everybody knows <laughs> it, but it's worth repeating. By definition, if you're going for large global corporate enterprises you're talking about very complex beasts and so i always say um, to uh, companies that i mentor if you're going to do that journey one make sure your board are really behind you because the mm -hmm. sales cycles we know it are super long they're super complex they're very large deals so it can be very binary right one day you think you're close to closing a million And then the next day, guess what? You weren't chosen for that RFP. You've just lost a million, right? Which wasn't yours already. <laughs> but the feeling that you right. were kind of in that million, it can, can be very emotional. So you need a very strong board, right? Who's going to be there through right. these cycles of enterprise. And particularly when you start the transition, means you're actually going to say no to easy money. And then you're going to have to do the, I call it the wait and see. You're not actually waiting. You're doing tons of activities, but you potentially have up to a six, nine, 12 month cycle where you hope that that transition is paying off. And so mm -hmm. really strong communication with your board, very strong backing with your board. Again, very strong honesty with your team about how hard enterprise is. It also means you probably are looking at hiring and making the team very different from them when they were managing SMBs. Um, you know, it's interesting, I, I hired, um, Uh, an enterprise sales uh, manager in France um, a, a few months back. And after one month in, and mm -hmm. he, he had a very tough sector. And I was like, okay, how's it going? How are you feeling? And he was just like smiling from ear to ear, like cats <laughs> do in, in, in cartoons. And I was like, what are you laughing about? He was like, do you know what? I love this part of the job, the complexity, the fact that I don't know nice. what's going to happen. Um, I love the fact that I have <laughs> 22 stakeholders to convince. Um, I love the fact that there's one guy in the business that is totally against the project. I'm like, great, wonderful. <laughs> And you do have to love those <laughs> things, right? To be a good right. salesperson in enterprise, you've got to love those things. And if it doesn't feel right, don't go in that business. And I always tell that to my sales teams and even uh, my customer success teams. I'm, I always say in your gut, Are you enjoying those conversations? Are you enjoying the challenge? Because if you're not, you're not going to be good at that role. Whereas if you just like that guy hired and are smiling after a really tough meeting, then you're meant for this job and you will exceed and do super well at it. 
very good points again. And, and going to the second critical ingredients to scale uh, world-class leadership across all mm-hmm. layers of the organization. Uh, and let's start there um, with uh, one story that we also had in the podcast with Christine Heckhart, the CEO of Scalar in, in Silicon Valley, who also have a similar challenge as you wedge succeeding uh, a founder in the business as professional CEO. So mm-hmm. can you kind of share what are the do's and don'ts? Uh, so founders who are, uh, founder CEOs who are thinking about bringing in a CEO, uh, a professional CEO uh, should learn from this and, and on some mistakes that they should avoid uh, as well. So what has been your story joining uh, Frisbee? So uh, I love speaking about this because it is <laughs> such a sensitive topic. And when you get it right, it's it's magical. When you get it wrong, it's a disaster. And right. the first thing I would say that made this transition in the case of Freeze be successful is Carl, the founder who was in the role of CEO. Um, huge self-awareness, huge ability to see that there were parts of the job he wasn't enjoying um, because they were not his natural sweet spot and that that was being a deterrent to the business. Um, So he chose the timing. He proactively led this transition. The second thing that I would say made it really, really um, good was we spend a hell of a lot of time together before deciding to work together. You know, there's Mm -hmm. we had an uh, instinct when we first met, I think within 15 minutes that our brains would work well together and that we could really do this. But we could have gotten it really wrong. Right. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. dating in marriage. You know, your first impressions can be great, but it could be actually just sparks flying and not actually right for you in terms of your deep values. So you then have to spend, we spent like 48 hours workshopping together. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an interview process. It wasn't a, it was us seeing whether we could focus on the vision and describe how we could see a common roadmap together and path. And so, You have to, in that process again, be, you have to shed all the layers of of ego and of things that you're trying to impress. And on the contrary, just literally whiteboard with somebody. Yeah. And trust Mm -hmm. me, our room was so messy. We apparently didn't leave a single bit of wall (laughs) or glass. The team was like, what are those two doing in there? And we we barely ate. We just kept on having coffee and duh and duh. And then... And then we just realized, okay, intellectually, we work really well together. Then there was the point where we had to talk about values and what we believed in and how we envisioned the company. And that you don't do over a whiteboard. You actually spend time. You have dinner. You talk. You 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 have to be quite open and talk even about personal things because that's how you discover one another. Right. right? And right. if the match happens, right, and of course, you've got the you meet the investors and everybody else and all of that. Uh, we even actually did some mm-hmm. testing of our kind of like, um, it was like a Hogan test plus almost a GMAT to see how our brains worked with risk, how our brains worked with adversity and how we just thought and how um, we had either more mathematical, verbal or logic skills and whether we were compatible so that we could learn how we would react and how we might react together in front of um, difficult situations. I thought that was really cool. Um, right. So it was quite an extensive process, if you can imagine, right? And then <laughs> once you do sign on the bottom line and decide to work together, you guys need, if you're going to do a proper transition, to spend hours together. We literally, I went to Uppsala, Sweden, and we spent the entire week together. 
um, in a mix of mm -hmm. meetings, getting to know people, then again, the whiteboarding, back to the whiteboard. Um, and then I actually wrote, after I left Uppsala, um, a piece as if I were actually the founder, as if I were Carl writing an article in the press describing our vision. So I tried to literally write for him and to be his voice. And mm -hmm. then I, it was like, I think it was, it was a 10 pager. Nobody would have read it. It was so boring. <laughs> if you were here for a paper, <laughs> it was really important for us. And he loved reading it. And then I said, literally line by line, look at it and tell me what doesn't feel quite right so that I can go even deeper into your vision and your brain. So you have to have that really big involvement if you want to take it seriously, if you want to really absorb the vision and then make it your own and then build on it, right? Because you're not just brought in for somebody else's vision. Yeah. We were there to bring that joint vision, but you can't build joint vision unless you've understood somebody. And so that that's a process. And so it's a big commitment. And I think people rush through these kind of transitions and there's nothing like spending a lot of time together um, and exposing yourself, like writing that paper and saying, this could be completely wrong. I might have misinterpreted what you said. And for him to feel super yeah. honest in and the ability to tell me, actually, yeah, no, this paragraph, I don't know why, but it doesn't correspond. And then going deeper. So super fun process but super involving. Like I was so tired after two weeks, right? I felt like, <laughs> I don't know, this really immersive, intensive, uh, mind melting. <laughs> right. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting what, what you just said. And, uh, for a reflection for, for founders, CEOs that might be thinking about that there is, Usually, um, some criticism about uh, professional CEOs that they might miss the um, the passion and the vision of the founders. And yeah. what you are saying is is amazing. So what you are saying is you are bringing the experience of uh, knowing what to do in that position, uh, but partnering with the founders. So we keep the vision and the soul of the company alive and all the creativity, all the inspiration uh, there. So it's it's a team instead of being one that is just replacing another one. So I, I love that component and the, and the article exercise and going paragraph by paragraph uh, and trying to align what you both think it's the best for the future of, of the company. Uh, related to also this second ingredient, we we discussed that from one to 100 million, we, we might have seven companies and seven different CEOs, seven different leadership teams, seven different yeah. middle management teams. Um, and it can be painful sometimes to um, invite someone to let go that has been so important to get uh, where we are. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes also coming from outside and it's for, for any position, not only the CEO, even for a, a manager, sometimes you need to assess if you have the team to achieve the results that you want to achieve and, and, and um, do some changes. And it creates some, uh, some uh, uncertainty or some uh, people are, are not very comfortable with the changes that the new CEO or the new VP or the new manager can bring to the table. So how do, how do you face those changes in teams from stage of growth to stage of growth? Uh, and especially coming from outside, maybe people would be with some fear that you would replace some of them. And I did have to replace some of them. <laughs> and I, I'm just always honest. And I, I also told them that when I first joined. Now, the thing is, replace sounds like it's a decision from one person to the other. 
right? Right. Like it's being kicked out. What is leadership? What is leadership at its true, true meaning? It's somebody who's making a massive impact. Leadership is about impact. And what you're Mm -hmm. actually assessing is not whether this person is super bright or super smart or super nice or whether you want to have coffee with them. You're assessing if in the stage of that company, in the current setup, are they having the right impact? And most often than not, Mike, if you find that you're saying no, they would answer the same thing. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to replace them. That might mean they're in the wrong role, they're in the wrong setup, they're in the wrong mix of people because we're all only as good as that mix of leadership, right? But if as a team we're not making impact, then who cares about our skills as leaders? And we actually question this every single time we meet as an executive team once a month. We go through that single value of impact. And Mm -hmm. it's a forum where you're allowed to talk very honestly about where you feel impact is happening in the business and where it's not and why it's not and what needs to change to make that impact happen. And what's amazing is nobody likes not having impact, right? (laughs) If you're an executive in a company and you're not making impact, trust me, you're going home at night feeling like crap. You're opening a bottle of wine going, rather than saying, yay, let's celebrate. Um, we're driven as individuals by impact. It's, it's uh, or at least people in leadership roles, right? Some people are not right. so fussed on that. They have other values that can be incredibly useful as well, incredibly powerful. But frankly, if you're going to be a leader in a fast growth business, everything you're doing is to drive impact. And if you change the lens of how you think of leadership by simply putting that objective criteria of are we having impact? And impact is really important. Everybody knows it. You know if you're having impact or not. And it's not a bunch of metrics and KPIs and stuff where you you minutia look at numbers. You just close your eyes and you say, are we having impact? And I swear to you, if you went around the room to an executive team on any day and said, are we having impact? And you just did that question rather than KPIs, everybody (laughs) could be pretty much aligned on whether they're having impact and where in the organization the impact is not happening and why. So elevate it there. Then, of course, you drive it back to metrics and KPIs and all of that stuff. But frankly, just start with that. Are we having impact? Are we having impact? on our clients? Are we having impact on our growth? Are we having impact on our teams? Are we having impact geographically? Are we, is our voice being heard? Are we impactful? Then your leadership, your focus as a leader just seems to just fall crystal clear. That's amazing. And, and we come to uh, the first and, and final critical ingredient to scale in our uh, recipe, which is the culture of execution. Uh, we all nowadays know the importance of having cadence of accountability and communication, and we talk about this uh, about it on the show. And having the weeklies, the monthlies, the quarterlies, the dailies, the town halls, the one-on-ones, is there any specific rhythm that you use that is critical for you to have everyone on the same page and to inspire execution? I'm going to say all of the above. 
right? <laughs> because again, in hyper growth, you need hyper communication, you need hyper contact, but you got to be careful because if you do all of those things, you have to make sure you don't spend your life in meetings. So keep those meetings super short, right. super impactful. Um, multiply the one-to-ones like, but like 10 minute ones, right? My CFO and I can be on the phone sometimes like 10 times a day, but for five minutes. Right. And uh, people laugh and call us a really bizarre old couple. And we're not even in the same city. We're just like, I need to speak to you now. I've got this thing. I've got this thought and it's bothering me and I just need your brain on it. Right. And then it can last five minutes. Right. Okay. And then there, he'll be struggling with something on a finance issue. And he's like, can you just look at this and tell me what I'm not seeing? And that's, so right. the, the, the danger about cadence and all of those preset meetings is you lose spontaneity. And mm. that is a killer in the business. So put in all of those fixed meetings, right? Stick to them because there's mm -hmm. nothing worse than having your one-to-one -one canceled every single week, right? So stick to right. those. And then remember we are people and we are spontaneous human beings and we are spont spontaneity brings creativity and therefore mm -hmm. mix the mix it all around, right? Not the fixed Absolutely. meeting, add surprises, right? Um, so I try to surprise my team very often. I try to be super spontaneous. And I always say to anybody, um, call whenever there's that moment of doubt or or or, or exasperation, don't sleep <laughs> on it. I'm the opposite. I'm like, do not sleep on it. Give me a call. The call can last three minutes. But let's understand why that emotion was so strong or so destructive and let's build on that, right? The other thing that, again, um, people talk a lot about celebrating success and I think that's phenomenal. There's also something that is really important in that hyper growth is humor, humor and mm -hmm. honesty. And so um, we have a few WhatsApp <laughs> channels with just my top top execs where some mornings it's just about you know, laughing about that hideous fifth Eurostar journey that you've done in the week <laughs> and the smelly toilets and um, just things that are real about the true life of being an exec in a hyper-growth company. It's, as we all know, anything but glamorous. And being able to just <laughs> laugh about it or to just, just share about it is really important. Um, or, or just moments that made no sense, you know, we all have them, or, you know, this wonderful client meeting where you come up with the worst line possible and in your head, it was going to sound so brilliant. Just being able to laugh about that and to, to demystify it all is super important. Then if your team see you do it, they'll do it as well, right? One of the things leaders have to remember is the second well, actually, what you do before you even come into the office, what they're seeing you doing on Slack, what they're seeing you do on WhatsApp, what they see you in the first few seconds of when you walk into an office, any of our offices, impacts them tremendously. That's our responsibility as leaders. And often we want to avoid that because it's too much pressure. But that is the truth. People look up to us. They emulate us. And they try to define where the, or decide, define what the company is going by what you do. And so it's a simple fact. It's a simple truth. So as leaders, I always tell leaders, in, in especially in kind of earlier stage startups that I mentor and that I invest in, I'm like, own that. Don't try to hide from it. Own it and know mm -hmm. it and understand the impact you have as a founder and embrace it. 
Awesome. And we come to the to the last question of the show and uh, one of our favorite ones, uh, which is if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself at the beginning of this experience at Frisbee or even before on your career, if you want to select one moment in time, what advice would you offer to, um, to Anne at that time? So it's interesting. Um, my first business I started when I was 17. It was a theater company. And I was totally fearless. I had no idea what it was to run a business. So it didn't seem to matter to me that nobody ran successful businesses and theater and profitable ones. And I just thought you do whatever you want. And then you, you do your first jobs and your first businesses and you suddenly take a lot of advice from other people. And then you also see all the failures and you see the mistakes and, and you start, part of you starts doubting that self kind of um, fearlessness. And mm -hmm. in fact, you got to bring it back. You got to bring it back after uh, with every um, role you take in a leadership position, bring back the fearlessness, bring back that innate excitement. Um, and if mm -hmm. anything doesn't feel right on day one, say it and change it and never let other people. If you're the CEO, nobody else is supposed to lead the company. You are. Doesn't mean you don't work with your leadership team. On the contrary, they're your they're they're your everything. But don't let yourself being run by investors. Don't let yourself be run by a growth percentage. You run that company. You create its cadence. You drive it. And I think I would almost have a pep talk with myself every time I started a business by saying, especially, if, again, if you take over a company that's been there for a while, mm -hmm. your, your tendency might be to listen and then to take on the behaviors that were there in the past rather than being reminded that if they chose you, it's because they wanted you to change stuff and probably radically. And so it's just, it, it, it would give myself that freedom to say, yeah, if it didn't feel right, talk about it, get to the bottom of it, sort it out and, and get that fearlessness at all stages across the business. Amazing. And thank you so much for sharing your time and your uh, experience with us today. A massive pleasure. It was great speaking to you. Likewise, and to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can leverage their lessons and avoid their mistakes. See you soon and keep scaling.